What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Jordan Puga, joined by my guest, not guest host, my other host, co-host Paul. We haven't done this in a while. Yeah, what's up, everyone? How's it going? Um, it's fun to be on. I like this. We're flipping the script a little. Uh, welcome to Mikey. Back for a second soccer one. Another FIFA one, right? Double feature. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, what's going to be really fun about this one is that Mikey, first of all, is with Screen Nerds Pod, which we shot it out on the last one. Check it out. But what's cool is that that one was all about the institutional stuff, right? It was all about the suits, the slimy suits, right? And here we get to actually celebrate the game. Today we're doing uh, Captains, uh, which is a Netflix docuseries. Uh, I believe it's also like a FIFA mini web series, as I'm finding as I'm doing some research. So if you Google captains and looking for this and you find a FIFA thing, I believe it's the same thing. So you might find that for free if you don't have an account. Check it out. And you can follow along with this conversation. Uh, but anyways, captains is this really cool docuseries. It kind of falls in line with what we've been doing with like hard knocks, Wrexham and that kind of vein in some way. So that's definitely one of the reasons we picked it up. But anyways, it's going to follow around six captains, right? So we got uh, Pierre Emmerich, Aben Young. I'm butchering his last name. Mikey, I'm sorry. Mikey. Jump in here, Mikey. Do you know it? Because he follows soccer pretty oh, close. Uh, I think it's Abu Yama Young. I, 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 yeah, Jordan, you you did a good job as I could with it. Pierre, right? I tried. His, I his tried. His name is Pierre, though, right? Yeah, yes. Pierre. He's dope. I like him. Yeah, he's from uh, Gabon or Gabon, right? I think pronouncing it right. Dude, we're just uh, showing the whole world that we're uh, Americans. Completely ignorant Americans. Issues, yeah. <laughs> don't use up our Google searches enough when we're watching these shows. Then we follow along. The other char- uh, character, other captain, is Tiago Silva. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Brazil, uh, Luka Modric, who is the captain of Croatia, obviously a huge player. Hassan Matuk, captain of Lebanon. Well, one of my favorite stories on here, a little tie we have to them, they're qualifying. Brian Keltak of Vanuatu. I think it's Vanuatu. but Vanuatu. I, okay. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Thank you for correction, though. And then no Andre Blake of Jamaica. Um, another one I really just throw out there I liked uh, in terms of like, as you're asking, which are captains we liked. But those are the captains we're following around here. And it's about best their journey to qualifying for FIFA. So obviously we're covering while FIFA's going. So spoiler alert, some of these guys don't make it. <laughs> if you're like me and you just watch World Cup, like periodically popping in for like the big moments and whatnot, it does not spoil anything. It's actually it makes it a lot of fun. I literally am texting Jordan penalty kicks every single time we get right. PKs. Completely yeah. reminding me of the other side of the world starts way earlier than I do. And I got to like get my coffee and then turn on soccer. But I do appreciate the updates and have you in on some of the better moments of the World Cup this year. For sure. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm riveted. But yeah, it's perfect work content. Like it's slow enough that I'm getting tons of work done while it's on and feeling like hyper stimulated and like excited, you know, which is like a double win. But yeah, great breakdown, tough one, right? We're, we're going to have some trouble pronouncing tonight all of these individuals because this is a series truly about the world. And I love how eclectic this bunch of teams is, right? The Vanuatu is like the one that blew my mind when I first watched this. I was like, what country is this? Like I've traveled a lot. I've never heard of this little island just off of the East Coast shore of Australia, right? Tiny, tiny, tiny island. There's a famous novelist. Uh, the book is, I'm going to botch the full name, but it's something about like the sex lives of cannibals. He's a satirist. He's very funny, very witty. It's a really good book, but he lived on some of those islands. And I wonder if he actually lived in Vanuatu. So I'm curious now. Um, but anyways, back to the question. I want to know actually definitively, let's start with Mikey on this, your favorite of the six. What's your favorite one? I would probably say Luka Modric from Croatia is probably my favorite. He's a guy that he's well-known. He's one of the probably 
most easily identifiable guys that that's on this list because of his success at the previous World Cup and his success in club play. Just his his story of coming back after such an important World Cup that he had going up to the finals in Russia to do it again, and especially at an older age, uh, as the idea of this you know could be his last World Cup having that existentialism of dealing with age and time and success and everything going around it. His story really kind of resonated with me the most, uh, but all of them are really good. But I would say his is probably number one to me. Yeah, I love Luca's story. And I mean, it resonated today so much, even though the game was a little, I don't know, of a dud. It was a little anticlimactic, in my opinion. Props to Argentina, man. They rolled today. They look some beautiful soccer out there. But uh it was bittersweet, man, to watch, I, I mean, him go off, especially after seeing this this series and, you know, the following week and to know this is his very last game on this stage, right? To see him, they took him out in the 80th minute or so because it was 3-0. And they were kind of, they were stubbing him out throughout the tournament because, you know, he doesn't quite have the legs he used to have. But, uh, you know, I think he's played in five World Cups, just like Messi, right? So it was a beautiful game of two of the best players in the world. The game itself wasn't so beautiful in terms of like back and forth, but just like, you know, we had two key iconic figures who were both playing their last World Cups today. So that was fun. And here we get a little bit of the background, right? I love when we get their stories, like their real stories, all of these players, right? Jordan already mentioned he loved the Lebanese player story, which is great, but like Luca, right? I mean, he grew up in the Yugoslav Wars, herding goats with with his grandpa, and then he was living in a hotel for years, right? Such a drastic childhood. That's why those Croatian players are tough as nails. (laughs) They're not soft. And it's incredible the run they've had for this little 4 million person country. Not only were they in the the finals last year, they're in the semis this year. And like I think it was in 2004. World Cup, they made the semis then again. It's just unreal. It's hard to make the semis in the World Cup. So you're really interesting and very humble guy. You know, you can't not like him. Awesome. How about you, Jordan? The most, like, he speaks to the role. Like, he obviously is such a big player, like, of captain. Like, that's kind of the question. It's called captain. It also kind of, like, poses a question of, like, not necessarily who's the best captain, but, like, you know, how these captains play these roles. And obviously he's like a superstar, but he, like he has the most like low key approach where his story is just told through the lens. Everyone else has a lot of people speaking for them. They have friends, family, and it's cool. It fleshes out their stories, but him, it's a behind the scenes moment with him, like watching, like with his injury, watching the qualifying games where he's not playing, but he has like his kids with him. And it's a great like family moment where like they're watching. Like, it's like, you know, anyone who has kids knows like, you know, you want to show them the sports. They're that young. They see even when you play the sports as your kid, like they don't really want to watch the whole game, right? So they get the beginning, it's they get they're on board, and then the background, they're like beating each other up, jumping on the couches, right? <laughs> then they come back to the game and it's intense. It's like such a like you know, wholesome family moment, and like again, like really like heartwarming, humanizing, because he is very iconic. Like I said, I I don't follow soccer very much, but like he is the image, um, you know, of this generation. Like I said, him, Messi, there's for sure every four years. He's all over the feeds and everything like that. So like seeing him in that in that realm was like you said was one of my favorites. I don't want to take take uh, Luca away. I thought I'll let Mikey have him uh, for the favorite <laughs> one because I think he's going to be all parts because he totally swayed me. I'm like I'm rooting for Croatia now. <laughs> like, I went to my dentist appointment. I was telling my dentist like I'm watching the series. I'm going for Croatia now, Luca boy. <laughs> like such a family man. You know he sold me. But uh, to answer your question, though, the one that's my favorite, because I mentioned earlier the Lebanese one, because there's so many heartbreaking ones. I and mean, obviously we do this, so we, we do spoiler content anyways. And their journey to like seeing how they, when they don't make it 
again, like all these, a lot, all these captains, a lot of these captains come from very like rough and gritty countries are going through tough economic times, tough war times, just cultural strife in general. And Lebanon is one that's just taken just a brutal hit over the past like 20 years and like seeing how they unite behind that team and that small chance of making it and then seeing them not make it just really hits really hard, really tugs at the heartstrings for me. And, th- and there's a lot of those with, the, with between these six captains other than the ones who actually qualify. But I thought there struck me because like seeing him as and all, the, all of them are really good role models, but seeing him with that walk among the people afterwards when he's just retired, he's watching like kids play and he's going and talking with his family and seeing like the newborns and stuff like he was another one who just exuded that weird, like that leadership role outside the field. We don't get to see that with Luca, but we see him, you know, the way the team really looks up to him and comes to see him. He's just like a pillar of this like community and the way it like transcends into soccer and beyond was just like they lost and they still follow him. They still have like his back and they're really they're mourning this loss together. I was like really moved by by his story. Sorry, that was Hassan. This is his story. I'm going to use first names. I'm terrible at pronouncing the last names. Yeah, no worries. Right. Hassan Matuk or, or something like that. Right. I mean, he had such a great story too. grew up through the, the wars in Beirut. I've seen so many films and documentaries about that. And then he moved to Germany. So he was, you know, the outsider, the little foreign kid and just killed it over there. And I loved his anecdotes about how like all these coaches would come to watch him play. He was recruited all these teams, right? It's reminding me of childhood, like how intense these coaches get, like club coaches will go to the rec teams and watch him play. And, you know, it just really brought me back to childhood playing soccer. Then Then he moved back, back, right? He goes back to Lebanon, like you said. Um, which is not easy. And, you know, just also really nicely tracking the trajectory, the downward spiral of that country, which is really sad, right? The precipitous decline from what they called the Swiss of the Middle East Mm -hmm. to where it is now, right? Just like rife with corruption and poverty. And, you know, that crazy incident that happened at the beginning of COVID when they had that warehouse filled with like, like gunpowder or something, forget what it was, but it was some sort of a um, an explosive and it blew up like half the city. Just unreal, that incident. What was so fascinating about that, right, was when they give you the numbers, it's like, okay, and I'm going to sound callous, but like 100 deaths or something, I forget what it was. Like, it's not a ton. You're like, okay, not that bad on the grand scale, right, of this like international event, like bad, but not like whoa, like jaw to the floor. They give the injuries and it's a few thousand, right? Hospitalized. And then they give the amount of people that became homeless from it. And then it's astronomical. It's almost like half a million. It's like, I think 360,000. And what you see is this, this, this young man who had, I think, much more like, I would say, cozy lifestyle, probably in German Germany, come back to his homeland and really, I think, want to be a beacon of hope for his people when he gets injured how depressed he is in such a very humble way. I loved him too. It's a great personality. I love that you brought this up already, Jordan. It's it's a really interesting documentary about not only the symbolic, but just the performative role of a captain, right? Of a leader. And all of the different personalities and all their different ways of leadership, I think really come through in this very, very well. I love that about it. I read a lot of like reviews that were saying, oh, this is like... six episodes of platitudes. I didn't find that at all. I thought they each had a very different perspective to their leadership. And of course they kind of speak in platitudes, but like, I feel like they were all situationally embedded. Like all these quotes didn't feel inorganic at all. Yeah. They all didn't land. Like some of them weren't, I'm not saying portrayed in the best light, but some of them like their leadership skills, you can question, 
right? You're going to go back and like, it's okay. Like that's, that's another thing. Like, you know, there's some that are captains for a reason. We'll, we'll probably go circle with that. But that was one thing, like you know, when you see them compared comparatively like this through episode through episode, right? You kind of see what works and what doesn't work. Even on the teams who are losing and they don't have a, like, no really chance in hell to really make the tournament. And you know that really watching that, but you still like, I liked seeing the way, like the, um, how, how do you pronounce it, Paul? Vanatu or Vanatu? Vanuatu. Yeah, yeah. I loved like seeing the different beginnings of like, the pregame, like not necessarily pregame ritual, but like, you know, okay, yeah, pregame ritual, right? They do like a praying circle where they all hold hands in a circle, like him, right? And like pray, like uh, football teams do that too, but not to that degree, right? Uh, we have the other ones who kind of like hang out and like they talk, right? They talk the game, right? They get more technical. Again, just like seeing that behind the scenes and how like the leaders like lead those little rituals and how they like integrate like people participating in and stuff like that was just really speaking volumes, that effort, like you're saying, being that beacon, being that guide. And seeing how they do it behind the scenes was just to me, it was like, just like fascinating. Also really interesting way of like gauging, like you said, the qualities of leadership. Mm-hmm. Like we don't get to see a lot of that with like Luca. Like people come to him. Actually, we see like the younger players, like the guy they say is going to be in next to him, like kind of come and get like, it's kind of a cool like Godfather moment. He gets like a moment to talk to him right with the mm-hmm. camera. But we see the other ones are like Matthew or um, Brian uh, Caltech is their captain, right? Uh, where you see him having to like this uphill battle, right? Where he's not like, like you mentioned, like it's not necessarily that he's the best player. It's that he's the most vocal player and he's the older player. And it's also, you know, kind of like leveraging all that and like trying to create a culture, right? And then we have with um, Pierre in Gabon, right? You have more of a, I'm coming from France, right? I'm the talent here and the team's built around him, right? And the way they resonate, they still have, don't really have a chance in hell really of making it either, right? But you kind of, kind of seem like the way those balances, I'm saying kind of, Weirdly enough, Brian, I thought was, even though they don't even get to make it into the tournament, I thought he was a really good captain, right? Because they're the one uh, who basically they get eliminated because of COVID. Like their entire squad gets eliminated. Like only one person doesn't get COVID, right? And this is like the day before the game, right? Uh, I forget who they're playing, right? But then seeing him as a captain, like, I like the way they break it down. It's like 10 days of quarantine. They kind of show like the progression of quarantine, how they have to communicate, obviously through Zoom and stuff like that. And then now he has to really still like rally the troops even though they know they're not playing FIFA, then get them to want to play football, just a game of football uh, as like this morale raiser was just to me, like I was like all on board with them. I thought I was like, what a good like captain in terms of like turning just such a negative, like no one else can really do that. It's on you. It's like such a shitty responsibility and doing it with all the world watching you, right? For this, you know, Netflix thing or, you know, this docuseries is going out there. I was like really just impressed by that. Just the juxtapositioning that we get with these different like methodologies yeah uh, with the vanuatu story though the one thing i was incredibly disappointed in is that the documentary did not show the game that friendly game that they did end up playing i feel like that would have been such a like rudy moment like anticlimactic mm. but not like the most meaningful game ever because yeah. like here they were playing football just for the sake of playing football um, and I'm saying that soccer for uh, mm-hmm. for our American audiences, but uh, you know, it was it was kind of heartwarming to hear that like they had organized this game finally, right? Because they'd flown all the way to Qatar, which was a cool experience for these guys. I love that. There's like their like fish out of water, larger than life eyes, just like taking selfies on the field and walking in the hotels, right? Because like Qatar, the whole United Arab Emirates is like really chic and posh and fancy and so it's a whole different world from their little island and they're 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 very underdeveloped and very young island that was some interesting stuff we learned man when they had like the the president of their island talk about how like the mean age was like in the 20s or something and so how they represent this like up-and-coming leadership throughout the whole country is was really fascinating and i just realized i didn't realize this the whole time but i realized they have a country representing each of the associations in FIFA. That was the plan, I think, was they wanted to make sure that every uh, 
confederation was represented in this docuseries. Makes total sense, right? Because the Asian Football Confederation, right? You have Lebanon. The Oceania Football Confederation, you have Vanuatu. The Union of European Football Association, we have Croatia. The CONCACAF, right? We have Jamaica. And for the Confederation of South America, right? Comibol, you have Brazil. So they did a really nice job of rounding it out. Very savvy. And Jordan, you already mentioned that this is similar to Hard Knocks, right? What's interesting is it's kind of like the Hard Knocks preseason. Mikey and I were even talking about this off air. What we're going to get is uh, Mikey mentioned, right? Or you, you could actually tell our, to our people what's coming out soon, Mike. You can describe it. You know more about it than I do. Yeah. So there's technically two seasons of the captains. The season one is the one that dropped already on Netflix that we're talking about that goes into the qualifications for the World Cup. And season two, which is going to drop after the tournament, is going to look at six new captains and it's going to show them in the tournament and the highs and the lows and everything that goes on during the tournament and how they as captains adapt to the good circumstances, the bad and everything in between. Awesome, right? It's totally in season, right? It's the in season versus preseason on the hard knocks. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to that. But jumping back, I like that we brought up existentialism too, right? Mike, you brought it up with Luca. It's an interesting thing about the, this World Cup in particular, right? Is all of our biggest, I would say, soccer players of the last 20 years are retiring this World mm. Cup, right? It's made it so poignant and bittersweet. We have Ronaldo, his last hurrah. We have Neymar's last World Cup, Messi's, Modric's. Uh, I'm just naming the biggest of the biggest. Mm. Um, so, I mean, those are the four biggest soccer players in the world for our whole lifetimes, pretty much. So, I mean, we kind of have had two, right? We had the, when we watched the FIFA uncover, we were going back in time on that one, right? Like the old Ronaldo with the shaved head, right? Like yeah. I remember when he was on top of the world and so forth. And yeah, I had, I remember jersey. like the FIFA 94 is what I was remembering a lot of that one. Cause that was when I watched a lot as a kid. Cause like they're talking, I mean, that one describes the marketing was like so perfect on it. Like every kid who played youth soccer had a FIFA bag that you put your stuff in and your gear and everything. And you wore it like you're a fucking FIFA player, even though you were not going to win any tournaments. But if you had that bag, you're the cool kid on the team. <laughs> like, I remember that so well as well. Yeah, we had oh yeah, so much FIFA gear. Of it then, yeah. yeah. Like you're saying, though, this is like, you know, the, that next generation for us, like seeing that phase two, like leave the game. Mm-hmm. Um, back to this, I haven't actually spelled out my favorite yet, and it is Pierre Emerick. I thought he had a really intriguing relationship with his father and a really tough mm. team to lead. I felt like even though Andre Blake kept talking and complaining and whining about how like they had a very divided team, which I think they yeah. did in Jamaica. And that's really interesting where you get the English born Jamaican players, yeah. right? And the homegrown yeah. talent, really fascinating. Some great comments by Andre Blake there at the end. Didn't want to answer the question, but was not really afraid to say, didn't want to say everything was A-OK between them, you know, like said more by saying that actually, I think in a weird way. But I completely agree with you. Both those are good examples of like these teams kind of like divided within and like just trying to find their identity late into the state, late into the game of the stage of where they should be, where everyone should kind of know where they're at heading towards this tournament. There's still sorting, sorting identities out. I loved his dad too, Pierre's dad, who I like at the beginning, I was like, oh, this dude is going to be annoying. I just felt like it. he's going to be like this prima donna dad. I had the same <laughs> bias, dude. I had the same bias. I'm like, he's going to be like Tiger's Woods dad or something like that. Kind of like, like you appreciate like the what the product is, but you don't really like the individual. 
Exactly. But I was like, I was like, he swayed me. Is that what you're going to say? Because he, he did sway me. He, he was such a that. player's coach. Yes. And he was like, such a yeah, mentor. Sorry, I'll let you go. No, perfect. You're rocking it. Yeah. He's such a mentor, right? He was such a good guy. Like he was attentive and he listened. And like they had that one player on their team, Mario. And that kid was so immature. Yeah. The quitter. Uh, I mean, a quitter. Like, call him like that, but he does quit there. Oh, like, he's a quitter. You identify me, you see it. He's a quitter. I yeah. definitely was not on his side. I did not like that they even brought him back. Mm-hmm. I think he was toxic and he's a great player. I think it's in Spain or something. He's good. So like, he basically was like too good for the club suddenly when things turned sour. Yeah. And it's like, no, dude, you're, I get why they didn't. And I don't, I don't think that they're weak for compromising and bringing him back for the last game again. But man, it just showed the two personalities, right? Where Pierre, he stuck through thick and thin, right? He wasn't going to quit on his nation and his team. He wasn't spoiled. And his father's mind. Yeah. Like at all, like hundreds, like, sorry, sorry, but it's like that mental battle that was discussed, but actually seeing it impact a player and like paralyze him where he's like at practice walking around, like literally says like, what are we doing here? I don't know what we're doing. You know, not like every game is like that. You know, like every game is an uphill battle. Like you said, it's really, like you said, it's an immaturity thing. You don't expect to see that from someone, you know, that big, kind of that old. You expect to see that, you know, the high school level at the, at the younger level, that's, that's common, you know, kids who are really good. They have the first time they hit that struggle. They hit someone who's just as good or better than them. You know, they have to get over that hill. Right. And it's weird seeing, like you said, someone like growing like that, really like pouting out there uh, at practice. It's really what it is. He is like, he's like pouting about the situation. He's like pouting that we're in such a bad place now. And I don't want to help us get out of there. Um, and it's really weird that seeing at a professional level, when you think about like sports and all that, and like just the glory, cause they have such a, I thought such a motivating story, like their captain literally could have won a world cup the last time, but chose to represent this country because again, his dad, you know, played for this country. His dad brought light to his country. He just wants to add to that legacy. Like that's it. He literally could have took a cup, but he like, he feels it's more important to shine light on my country with my platform. Right. And, you know, do what I can for that. And I'm like, that's such a fucking cool thing. Like, that's the guy you're playing for. Like, we always have those stories of, you know, the old guy on the team. That's who we win the championship for. That's the guy you're playing for, man. And like to see him, like, like you said, kind of just disrespect that was like, oh, it makes you mad. Yeah, furious, man. And that that's why I liked him so much. Is that what you said? Like that sacrifice and just the the amount of privilege he could have and his father could have and the amount of investment they have in representing Gabon, right? Is mm-hmm. is pretty beautiful. Like I love the scene where his father sees all the local kids cuz there is a difference, right? They aren't as homegrown anymore, right? They're definitely affluent. They live in basically palaces. I don't know where they live. They probably live in France to be honest. Both of them. They probably live in Paris or whatever he plays, right? But that's where they're from. That's their you know that's their heritage and when he brings the kids in and he's telling his friend he's like you know what those kids are going to just see these players in flesh Mm -hmm. that could change their lives and the amount he went to just get those kids in the stadium just for the practice i loved man he was such a cool guy he had such a good moral compass and foundation i like love Uh, of the sport like you said that whole thing with the kids is like Mm -hmm. this is for the sports like this is how we you know keep it going like that's you know that's how they got into it even though they're superstars in their in their countries and then fifa right he's generally doing though he's throwing it down for the culture like he's like this is how we do it like we can't have them outside there. I like that. It's like the kid, anyone has that coach who's like, you know, if you play like you soccer, like you're playing at the parks and stuff like that. There's some kids who aren't on the team might be playing ball and be like, come play, right? We see you're out there playing, come play against us. You know, it's like, it's like that. It's like in that tradition. And it's great seeing, like you said, professionals and, you know, the higher ups there, like the coach really like drilling those fundamentals into their crews. 
Yeah, I believe he even said, like, I was a kid once. I remember seeing my idol play, right? Yeah. Like, he, he just remembers, right? It's, it's just as basic as that. So, Mike, I want to have your input on some of these players that we've talked about. Both, I, I wanted to hear your input on Hassan um, and Pierre, both Jordan and I's choices. Obviously, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier about Hassan and just wanting to come back and really lift up the country. And, and, and I think that's kind of the parallel with Hassan and Pierre is they're coming back to bring hope. And I think that's really the one word that kind of describes the series is hope. Each squad, each uh, country has that hope of making the World Cup, whether it's the teams that are the favorites, so to speak, with Brazil and Croatia. But you have these countries like Lebanon, like Gabon, like Bananatu, uh, that really don't have much of a chance except, you know, that statistical anomaly of a hope, but yet they still have that hope. And you see kind of these players that even though they play for clubs that are around the world, they, they want to come back and lift their countries up and represent their countries proudly. That's the cool thing about this series is that, you know, you get to see that that love for their country, even with all its flaws and even with the problems that may be going on with the country or even inside the teams, like, like in Jamaica and like the, the rivalries that are taking place in there. It's cool to, to have these kind of moments where you see how these different people react, but yet they all have that same hope. They all have that same dream of making it to the world cup. That's well said as well. So you see like in some of these figures, right? I love people who take a demotion for something they care about, right? It's not a demotion, right? But like, I don't know if he would actually, um, talking about Hassan, mm -hmm. qualify to play for Germany, but like Germany, once again, right, is on the world stage. Like they got knocked out and it was a shock to everyone in the group mm -hmm. stages, right? But but you're talking Germany and France, these two players you think could hypothetically play for. And I don't know the exact intricacies and logistics of qualifying, but I know like if you've lived in a country long enough, you do end up having the privilege of playing with that country. And the fact that they choose to play, you know, with their homeland and represent it and totally, completely embody and take on the burden and the responsibility of that calling. It's pretty dope. It's pretty awesome. Now I'm curious, let's switch the mood. Let's switch the gears. Jordan, you already alluded to this. Like what captains do you think was not a great leader? You sort of mentioned like there are some examples here of, of poor leadership or or less than a savory I'll, I'll give two categories. I'm going to say poor leader. I want to take two people, but we didn't talk mm -hmm. about Tiago Silva yet. Mm -hmm. I thought he was my overrated captain. We can throw that out there. If I, if I could do like an underdog over, he's my overrated captain. He has people telling like his wife is basically like has an email set to like tell the coach like he should be captain. I thought that was really weird. I'm just to be honest. I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying like he overstepped her balance or anything like that. But like have like people outside the team advocating like, see, this is why he needs it. Right. Doesn't really speak like leadership from within. A lot of captains have like an unspoken role. I get that there's like a tryout period or something like the, the coaches hadn't named the captain or not yet. Uh, but his story felt really discombobulated like wasn't really told the best for me but going to my question of who i think is like our our worst captain if you want to call it that i'd have to say um andre blake from jamaica all right I, I, he might be some low-hanging fruit I've, i haven't really like looked at the comments out there but as the whole time i'm watching it like i can see why he's captain he's the most vocal person in the locker room i get that he tries to lead by example right uh he's just not the most compelling not the most persuasive uh, he's just not that unifying. He, he's not the unifying force that he thinks he is. And I say I like. Not, it sounds like I'm really hate, like hating on him. I really don't because I, I I love Jamaica in this man. They have some of the best moments, like the most raw footage of a team just doesn't 
click, right? They don't see the picture. They don't even agree on the plays. Like they're trying to run these plays and all of them are arguing about who's doing what, why they should do it. And like the coaches have to tell them, dude, like the coaches are in yellow. You guys are not just listen to us. Like we just threw out a play and you're giving us a million excuses why you can't do that play. And like, I'm just, I'm laughing at it. Cause like, we just, I just mentioned it earlier, but it's like, it's like, you know, it's like having that room full of teenagers, right? And they want to tell you all the reasons why they can't do it. And you're like, I've already done this. I'm just telling you, this is how it's done. If you guys would just do it, you'd see the result. And I'm just, I'm loving it. Cause even the coach, like the captain can't even get him to see it. He stands up and explains it and like, all hell breaks loose. And like, I was just, oh, I felt bad for him. Like every time you think he gets it together, like, you know, it, it just didn't happen. Like you knew the results of the game because like it was not working in the locker room. And I have to say it does kind of come back to him. I'm completely on board. I can't even try to diversify it, man. Andre Blake cracked me up. Uh, like he's supposed to be this unifier and he constantly is like the bad, the, the vibes are bad, man. The vibes are bad. Yeah. Or he's just like constantly saying these underhanded whips that literally sow division within his team like yeah. he, he is this this like very adolescent presence he has like a major ego he you know has a sort of territorialism where i feel like he never embraced the british born players Ooh, i get that there's that tension and they're probably sort of they they kind of think like they're the shit just to be blunt right mm -hmm. but like it's kind of his job as the captain to reconcile all of these yeah. problems, these factions. But we, as you said, we see them watching footage and they just are arguing so much, even watching tape, they can't even get through the session. I mean, it was hilarious. And I, I did love the their attempts to build unity, even mm -hmm. kind of felt half-assed and botched, like in the Continental Buffet room or the, the yeah. banquet hall of the hotel when they do like the karaoke type yeah. performance, like that kind of felt perfectly like the Jamaican thing to do. Um, I also love that he always spoke in like patios and jargon, like that was really like like Jamaican, partially English, but it's so yeah. organically, um, uh, like it's Creole, right? It's like mixture. It's their local thing that I, it was so entertaining, but hard. And so mm -hmm. I would be catching what he was saying, like three lines after, which that's not a problem, right? But that just made him even more compelling. But I liked him, right? And he was also like a, a mess on the field. Like there was a lot of shots of him not covering like the post yeah. on goals, like the short-sighted post. I'm like, dude, that's on you. I'm usually not critical of goalies for the most part. But like that's there was a few of those decision. where like it was incredibly problematic that his his formal techniques were wrong but then he like blocks a penalty kick that was amazing where he already dived and kicked it with his foot right <laughs> like he has raw talent right and he's yeah. an intriguing guy but yeah i thought that was interesting and you're right silva was a kind of the blandest of the bunch i thought silva was really interesting though because he was a weird juxtaposition with brazil brazil is the mm -hmm. flamboyant team they have the most swagger of any team always right constantly no matter what it's almost like a requisite mandate if you're going to play brazil you're going to have the like bleached mohawk right you're going to be neymar incarnate mm -hmm. like right no matter what or you're you know what i mean you're going to have the footwork you're going to have the dazzling personality you're going to be divisive and polarizing and all that and silva was really like this low-key humble kid he liked to fly kites was incredibly shy and they had that brazilian like poet or philosopher or novelist talking mm -hmm. um and you said this really interesting proverb about the captain is is the herder right the sheep herder and you stand behind your flock which mm -hmm. was a metaphor for him being the defender right but yes, you're correct. I don't think he was maybe the best captain ways, but they do show footage of him on the field. And I watched him this World Cup. And man, is he the most communicative player I've ever seen? He's a coach on the field. I feel like he's not even that great of a player. He's solid. 
but uh, he's just constantly he's got like the vision like he's but he's chatting with everyone yeah. he's just constantly chatting so i get maybe that's why he's and they were kind of suggesting that i thought too they i mean yeah. i think i think i just didn't absorb it enough because a lot of the footage is like you said of him like again kind of juxtaposed to blake of giving actual commands but blake's after the error right and so yeah. it comes off as blaming and like every shot of him giving commands is usually after some blunder maybe a defensive breakdown maybe his fault right but always coming from him like that it just comes as like the meaning right over over the players and you're right his even on the field you get a sense that like i was gonna say he just runs the defense but like what you're saying he probably runs more than that right mm -hmm. yeah and i think that uh he will be a i don't know he's probably too shy to be a coach but and this was his last world cup as well which was sad as well but i don't know it's interesting to see like his story about growing up and he played in the uh i forget the name there's a brazilian term which i with an f as well um, no not the fabulous right that, that's like their like term for like the ghetto right or the hood um but no it's like farzea or forzea and oh, it, it's like the street ball the street ball yeah mm -hmm. i love that really cool to learn about that and yeah. see how physical it gets, how feisty yeah. it gets, to have those interviews with his coach and to see what he represents for the little community he came from, right? And every figure here came from almost extreme poverty, right? Almost mm -hmm. every single one of these players besides the player from Gabon, right? Because his dad yeah, was yeah. a professional. But I thought that was really intriguing too. And I guess the Lebanese players, he seemed kind of middle-class actually to me, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. But even Luca, right? I mean, if he wasn't from a poor background, he had to live in a hotel through a war, right? Yeah. Like he's like a refugee, right? Yeah, he had a rough childhood, exactly. And then you have who who am I leaving out right now? I was gonna say you have Brian, which mm. the whole aspect of that storyline, you know, we touched on the fact that they didn't get to even have a chance to fully qualify. But the fact that all those players essentially they don't get another chance because they have to move on and get jobs in Australia yeah. or New Zealand or somewhere where they can make money to support their families because they don't get paid anything by the, the national team. And so like, even if they could develop talent, uh, like Brian talks about, it's like, they have to leave, they're gone. And they're kind of always left with that churning of talent to try and, make do because a lot of their players they have to give up playing soccer because they have to make a living and be able to support their family and the only way they can do that is to the leave the team and, and leave the country and go find jobs elsewhere in order to support their families so really that to me that was the most kind of heartbreaking story out of all of them was the fact that not only did they not get the opportunity to compete and to qualify but the fact that for many of them, this was probably their only chance, even as you know, young guys that they were, that they wouldn't get to have uh, you know, another opportunity to do this. Great that you pointed that out, man. So sad. They had that player who wasn't on the team anymore, who was like basically like cleaning pools and stuff yeah. and resorts, right? Mm -hmm. It was pretty, pretty depressing. I'm just gonna be blunt. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad he has a job. He seems like he's doing well, but like, you know, you can see the the socioeconomic conditions that need to be already set up to give you the privilege to even play a sport, right? Yeah. Like it, you see the bare roots, the grassroots genesis of, of sport infrastructure there. And what's nuts is that like these kids still, I call them kids, that seems sort of demeaning, but like, you know, these young adults, these young men, 
were good enough to be contenders. And they showed them in that under 20 tournament where they like scored, you know, goals and gave teams like Mexico and Germany hell, right? That's unbelievable. If you think about like the disparity and the conditions and the environments that they come up through, right? The resources, right? It's just basically that is what I'm getting at. Like they don't have the resources or the time wealth to have like an equal and fair competitive ground. Um, so it really, yeah, great point to bring up. Mikey, what what a uh, captain or what moments would you say? It doesn't have to be a specific captain, but what, were there any moments that you thought like, hmm, that was defective leadership, I'll just call it. Um, yeah, yeah, I've already touched on Blake. And I think that that really kind of summed it up as far as really not being able to, to lead. Like we see a lot of the other guys, they were able to in some way, shape or form embody what it means to be a captain and have that gravitas to have that level of respect. Whereas with Blake, it almost just seemed like he has an armband, but we don't really care that he has an armband. Like we're just going to have our clicks and we're going to have our differences and we're just going to be about that. And we're not really going to be about uniting as a team, even though probably out of all of the countries that didn't qualify, Jamaica probably had the best chance, so to speak, just because of where they are and the talent pool that they have. And yet they squandered it in a lot of ways. Just either you could say it's defective leadership by Blake or just, you know, he really couldn't do anything about it just because of the circumstances. But probably out of the six, he is probably the one that almost by default is probably the the least like a captain or one that you would think would uh, epitomize being a captain. Yeah. I do want to stick out with for him in this, that I don't think anybody on that team seemed capable or <laughs> like worthy of the captain role from what I saw. Like it seemed like they were all a factious group. They were all clique heavy, right? They all wanted to form their little buddies and, you know, create like, hostility with that episode wasn't it called white hey man put your shirt back on <laughs> i think so right and I, was, yeah. I was thinking that was a weird name for an episode but it was like the best title for that when you actually watch the scene where he's just like some random dude just doesn't have his shirt on and it pisses off like like blake gets like really mad he's like what's he think he's doing out here is he like suntanning and he's yeah. like put your shirt back he just like calls his and you find out later is one of those dudes who was called down from the uk and i was yeah. like Okay, I can like see like that was kind of like an unnecessary like call out. Like the dude's mm. just out there balling. But like it's like one of those ones I thought was like really clever on uh, the producers or editors, if you will, to like just call put that as a title of the episode. Yeah, no, that's great. I also really thought to go back to our hard knocks analogy, the very last question asked Blake what he thought the future was, right? And he said something really like cryptic and unconfident of like, time will tell if the future is bright. And it yeah. did not give one ounce of optimism or leadership. And I thought it was really intriguing because we talked at length about Dan Campbell's response to basically the same question, right? Mm -hmm. Was equally kind of wobbly, shaky. Yeah. But at least Dan Campbell was kind of philosophical. He was kind of like a sage. He yeah. like rubbed his beard and he gave this kind of semantic thing. He was about... actually smart. He picked a good one and actually lived up this season. It was like, was it the Detroit Lions will compete? I think it was. No, he'll he will be the team that can and will or something, right? Yeah. He kept it so vague on purpose. I really liked mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it was... like a little engine that could and they really mm -hmm. are this season. Yeah. <laughs> But it took him like a minute, right? And that yeah. minute is just like fraught with 
unease, right? Why is the coach not immediately saying like, we're going to succeed, right? Like yeah. what is going on here, right? Like how dare he pause and have realistic expectations. Whereas Blake had this smirk, like he's almost not masochistic, but he's almost reveling in the the chaos and the anarchy because he's so, I think, rancorous towards some of his teammates. I feel, I feel like he's in this weird way, petty and okay with like he wants to win. They all want to win. They're definitely passionate, right? That game where they get the red card, which was a botched red card. That was an awful call. Mm. They definitely showed that he had all ball. Too physical, maybe a yellow just because it's too physical. But they're not babies, right? That should have never <laughs> been a red card. And it ruined that game for them. And they yeah. definitely gave a valiant effort down a man to go up 2-0. I mean, that was an amazing game for them to then tie. It was very sad. But I don't know if they lost 2-1 or whatever. But I forget the exact result. But right. it didn't end up well, right? And they had every right to be furious. And they definitely had passion, right? It was just this like passion with no structure or organization. Then they bring in this coach where they're praising because he's like all about aggressive tactics, right? He's like, you know, not conservative in the least. And I'm like, no, that's probably the wrong guy for <laughs> y'all. Like you guys need someone to harness your energy a little, but uh, yeah, intriguing club, right? Definitely felt like they had the Jamaican flavor and energy. And I love right. that they had uh, the announcers, as voiceovers, right? The local radio head, yeah. like they had the really, better announcers for the documentary. <laughs> yeah, I, I did like some of the talking heads. They found like philosophers, and uh, I really don't know. Like they had that Jamaican woman who like owned the Bob Marley line. Oh, it's Bob Marley's daughter. Oh, daughter. His Which daughter, I was gonna yeah. ask you guys, like, what did you think about her just like randomly showing up as like you said the credentialed? She kind of threw me off, to be honest, a little, a yeah. little. I thought it was like kind of obligatory to be honest. So I was like, of course we're gonna get like a Marley for Jamaica. Like, I mean, but like it was really, really weird. Uh, I thought because the way she speak about development of the country and all that, it's all she, she was right about everything she was saying. But it was like it wasn't coming from like you said, like a source of like like the philosophy, the university, the sporting, if you will. It's, it was like a weird endorsement almost. It's like like I said, obligatory. You expect that. My favorite part yeah. for the Jamaican was when he gets chirped when he's just walking. Right by the guy, the guy down the street, he just says, "You're the goalie. You yeah. let every go ball go in. Every ball goes in on you. You don't like right. to win, right?" He gets he gets him yeah. pretty hard for just being like a rando on the street. I was like, "Dang, what like like no yeah. filter." That was like the voice of the people right there, like you know, really like fed up with the team, like you said, like really speaks to like this, you know, the national stage and how valuable it is, and you know how people really take that to heart. Uh, but he, he took it in stride, though. I got to give it to him. I like the way he handled it. Yeah. Plus, I also think that echoed the bluntness in the team, the infighting in the team mm -hmm. showing itself outside the team, right? It seems like, I mean, when I say this, I feel like I'm stereotyping, but it does feel like it's part of like their cultural identity. It's like they are kind of frank, right? They do thrive on like a sort of friendly combative tension, right? Like, that is confrontational for that guy to just go up and he doesn't even think twice. Right. Yeah. And I actually respected Blake in that sense. Cause I thought he did show a tremendous amount of restraint. If he was even more mature, I think he would just completely shrug it off. It's like this dude. So mm -hmm. it definitely got to him, but he didn't like try to throw fisticuffs with this little old yeah, man, which would have been pathetic him, really. or anything, but he didn't do that. But he, he definitely was like, do I look like I'm not trying? Do mm -hmm. I not know this? You could right? tell he was hurt by it. Like yeah, he, the comment hurt him. Yeah. You could tell it was hurt. I mean, you showed his humanity and we've piled up on him. Like all of it, like I have, you know, for sure. But like, I liked him actually. Mm -hmm. Like I thought he was charismatic. I thought that he was honest. I, I liked him. I just feel like he's young and immature. And so it was really interesting to see him as the captain, yeah. right? It's like the one of the better things about the documentary, like you said, like it's the maturity of the countries themselves, like in this in this world stage and as part of the tournament. Like we guys went over development, and it, again, like I like I really like the way that the this does highlights. Like I said before, 
just the psychological impact of the sport and like the narrative of the sport. And here you see it much more pronounced, I think, than like hard knocks because hard knocks is all about the narrative going into the season. We have the like we went through over, you know, we had the cool ones with all the rookies, the veterans. And, you know, this one is, is like a whole different type of pressure as we're seeing. And like in the all the little threads it goes into, I, I thought that tied them together really nicely with this documentary. It gave like a, a pretty well-rounded presentation, uh, like you said, where you you really empathize um with all of these captains i mean you really empathize with leadership like what it is to be a good leader um and have to kind of like you know row that boat yeah another incident that really stuck out to me too was uh because i want to bring it up because it's an interesting juxtaposition to like the blake and being direct and blunt right is luca right in croatia who's super quiet right he leads more by example but he's also very open and he's very direct, right? And the scene where he goes and talks to Lee Vakovic, right, the, the goalie, like had my jaw to the floor. Like he mm-hmm. did not mince his words at all. And what's what was unreal was I like this. I watched this episode literally like a day after. I hope I'm not botching his name, but Lee Vakovic stuffed three penalty kicks, right? He's like the hero <laughs> of the country, right? He's like couldn't be any higher, right? Like it was just a remarkable performance in the PKs. Mm-hmm. And um he he'd done that twice this tournament, right? He he stuffed Bra- mm-hmm. Japan and he stuffed Brazil. And to see him at his lowest moment just like not too long ago was was insane, right? Like they're yeah. sitting in a hotel on the couch and Modric was like, I loved it. He says you're playing like you're scared to make a mistake, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, we all make mistakes. And he, and he, but he was also saying like, you're just not cutting it right now. And all this stuff, like you're not playing up to your capacity. And he had no problem. Like that is something you would, you would think you look at the way Luca holds himself. Right. Mm -hmm. And you would kind of, I kind of actually would think he would have trouble being that. Like when you you see like his demeanor. Yeah. Like like he looks confident and everything, but he doesn't look like he's just that direct, like Mm -hmm. just completely unvarnished and come and saying nothing but what what he thinks is the truth that's going to hold this player accountable and push him forward and it was also just a weird dynamic because like for some that could backtrack even worse like i was like that was one moment was like if that's the wrong personality that goalie is going to be worse off you know what i mean some people don't take that the right way it obviously worked but i thought that was really interesting um to see as well especially given the gravitas of the goalie this tournament and the performance he's given after that where he was benched for a few games and so forth on the pitch, were there any games that any of you really loved, like any of the, the biggest moments? Because they track like basically all of qualifying. Actually, the one I liked and it's one that you don't really get to see is when Gabon's celebrating the win and they still have like a little bit of hope and they're still watching the Egypt game. Mm-hmm. I like that is such a oh man. Like you, you know it's gonna go. I like I didn't look up the scores, but I'm just, just the way this, the documentary's going, they're not gonna get there. And this is like you just feel like at least I get this one like second here to celebrate. But yeah. then you see like the night goes on, they lose. I was like that was really well crafted. Um, and, but that game that they ended up winning though, even though like I said, you're you're pessimistic kind of about the outcome. That one was inspiring. Like, yeah. like I said, keeping that hope alive, that spark, and seeing them so stoked, even though like I said, like. As a viewer, you're really pessimistic about it, but see that elation and then have that small celebration, obviously still be going into what's going into the other game, which was initially going up 2-0 against Egypt, right? Comes back. So like, it's, it's yeah, you feel for it. It has everything like, uh, it has like all the negatives of an underdog story, unfortunately, right? Un- unfolding. Uh, it's like, you wish the movie would have stopped on that, on that game, but it, it goes on. But I did, yeah. I, I thought that one was most compelling for me. I mean, this happens in baseball and football and basketball, but it happens so much in soccer where like in group stage play and qualifying play, these teams end up 
watching their phones at the very end. We saw this in the World Cup multiple times. We saw South Korea pull this miraculous win, right? Like a last 90-minute goal, I think, on Portugal, right? And then they had this all stand in the center of the field. There's footage of them right after they're winning with their cell phones out watching the other game because they play them at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see them have to wait nine minutes of agonizing viewership. Then they're suddenly like fans of some rant, whatever team they need to like, you know what I mean? Keep the other team from scoring that goal. I think they got through on a goal differential as well. So it was like, if the team literally scored another goal, they could have been knocked out, which was, it was just wild. Um, The drama of that, right. To go from playing and winning a huge game to watching your phone. Um, But they did get through. So like they had double celebration, right? The drama of that is is unique. And I also realized one thing about the World Cup, which was really interesting. The first two games of group play, they're played every two hours. There's four games a day. When you get to the last game of group play, they pair the games up two and two at the same exact time. And I was wondering, like for TV ratings, why would they ever do that? Do you, you, know what I mean? do you know the reason why they do that? I'm guessing. And the, I'm guessing the reason why they do that is to create more parity because they well, know that if a team has already played and they know the results, two teams can easily just kind of cash it in. Is that that's correct? It. That's, that's the exact reason. They want to mm-hmm. make sure that each team doesn't know for sure what's going to happen Mm -hmm. so they play it out at the same time because otherwise if you have let's say like the u.s when they were playing their final game against iran if they knew the result of wales in england was a certain way then they could have played the game totally differently which would have been not a fair competitive balance to iran if that's the case and so that's why they always stack if you watch any soccer tournament they have the third game of group play going on at the same time with those groups because they want to make sure that everyone gets a fair shot in that last game. Yeah, and uh, I loved it. It added so much drama. Uh, the Mexico one was insane where for a second, they got scored on again in the like last minute, right, Mexico? But before this like last second goal, they still won their game. They won like 3-1. They were tied on every single tiebreaker. And Mexico was about to get kicked out of the World Cup because they got more yellow cards, which would have been like... <laughs> that would suck. It would have been unreal, right? Like we complain about like the the coin toss, right? Like in the Buffalo Bills game, right? Mm -hmm. How like the toy coin toss isn't fair. And I get it. There's like a level of uh, statistical unfairness to that. But like to get kicked out of the World Cup because you, what they call fair play points is a whole nother level (laughs) of just nonsense, right? Like Mm -hmm. why not have the roles where they just, you know, they're both in Qatar, like just show up in a few hours and do penalty kicks. I don't know. Do something. I I think it's gone at one point to a coin toss. Literally, it came down to a coin toss, which is just like nuts. Weird sport in some ways. I have I have no hesitancy as I as the one sport I played. Right, it's the closest I'm to any sport actually in that sense. Like of critiquing some of some of its I think flaws, and people don't like that <laughs> traditionally. <laughs> yeah, um, but anyways, how about you, Mike? Any any plays on the pitch? Any games on the pitch that you loved? Uh, I thought it was interesting watching Jamaica and U.S. that qualifying match because obviously you know with us being u.s and being interested in that game or those games it's it's interesting watching it from a different perspective uh, because obviously they really weren't there to cover the u.s they were there to cover jamaica and so uh, it was just kind of cool as watching it from that perspective and seeing how 
Jamaica was handling all the different things. And really the U S was just kind of there in the background. They weren't really players in that story, but they were just kind of there. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I actually remembered the result of that game, which was interesting too. Like I had watched clips of it and so forth. So that was the only one I kind of actually knew about. And right there in the U.S., right? That was like in Texas, I think they played. Maybe Austin, was it? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think I watched the second half of that. Um, the one for me, there's a few. The Lebanon game, where they gave up the two like goals in the 80th or 90th oh, yeah. minute, man. And the captain had to watch. <laughs> that one was really brutal. And to see how, like, he talked about it, like how like that weighed on them for days, right? Like that lingering residue of stinging defeat. I thought it was really interesting. And I love the rain game, even though it was a little slightly anticlimactic. And at the same time, it was the only climactic game in the whole series because it was the only game that kind of like put a team into the World Cup based yeah. on a win. But like the fact that it was an own goal just felt like. Yeah, kind of you're funny. totally right. I forgot about yeah. that one. That one um, had some of the better footage, too, because like we were talking about like totally reminds me of those tournaments when we were kids when like it pours and you get all muddy, like the mud bowl we used to call them. That one, like you said, it was like it was a pretty uh, uncompelling matchup, like visually, I guess. But like has all the things if anyone who plays soccer kind of likes like that really like earthy feel to it. But I love the way because we didn't actually talk about this, the way the series kind of ends on games in a cliffhanger. As like mm-hmm. kind of a way to move on to the next episode. I don't think we talked about that. Did you guys like that? I kind of did personally. I, I didn't always love because I was binging it. Like the fact that I had to watch anything twice, even 10 seconds. But I don't know. Personally, it didn't bug me because I was just kind of binge watching it anyway. So it was just mm-hmm. like seamless. But like, what did you think? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, yeah. That's my, if I had a complaint, I was like, I wish it kind of just go in media res when it starts up the next episode and just finish the play. And then mm-hmm. kind of do a recap. Yeah, uh, just, yeah. I thought that that kind of continuous action would be cool, kind of like a like a live sports thing. I thought that's what they do with that stuff. But I, I liked it. it. It's a cool cliffhanger. And like, it does, it makes you want to binge. And if you don't binge, it still brings you back into the loop without a full recap. I liked it. I thought it was an interesting choice that I thought worked. Yeah. And they kept it like every episode was really well balanced and uh, nicely like paced i i thought of chef's table a lot it's like my go-to like paradigm of like really good documentary series mm-hmm. that that keep things fresh and it's interesting because like it's almost felt like this was a chef's table but instead of having like a season with eight episodes and each episode is about a specific chef this created a mosaic right like it interspliced all of them together and interwove all these stories together and that's really hard to do and they did a really good job, I feel. Like, it didn't feel too jarring when I was leaping from, you know, Lebanon's story to Brazil's mm-hmm. story. Like, nothing ever felt like it didn't move in a fluid way. I thought they did a really fantastic yeah. job. I thought that the production was top tier. It was funny to know that it's a FIFA production and then, like, having <laughs> just watched the FIFA Uncovered and know, like, that it can be a more unsavory look into this institution and then, like, watch this new product and, like, Think it was pretty well done. This is pretty good. I thought it was just kind of funny. Um, but no, I thought I was really impressed on that element. I liked Rexham because of how sloppy it was in ways. Like mm-hmm. actually, like it, I felt like it was incredibly sloppy and like haphazard and slapdash, like throwing these episodes together in weird ways. But it felt like I don't know, it just kind of felt like they were just playing it off the cuff. But this felt like a well-polished machine in comparison to that one. What about you, Mikey? What are your thoughts on on its production value? Um, it's sort of it's just like narrative flow. I, I think you nailed it as far as just how top notch it was. And it kind of is the showcase of FIFA. And they want to put their best foot forward in highlighting 
the best and the greatest of what it is to play this sport. And I think that's why they greenlit this series. I think that's why they put their stamp on it. And I think that's why we, you you see how, how well produced and how well shot in, in everything that went in with it and kind of going back to, you know, you know, mentioning how the, the transitions were, uh, I think the, the first episode, it was kind of jarring as far as like, it just ends. Uh, but once you get into like the second and third episodes and you see that that's kind of the trend of it, it, it made it a lot easier to kind of get into that flow. And yeah, I binged it too. And so it, that almost also made it easier to just understand that cliffhangers coming and then jump right into the next episode. But I have a question for you guys. And it's something that, you know, kind of spurs off of, you know, knowing that there's a season two. I want to ask you guys, what do you think are the captains that are going to be picked uh, for this season two? That's a good one. I'll follow soccer way more closely than I do. Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, This is my hope. I'm just going to pick six on the top of my head as fast as I can. Um, I want to hope South Korea for Asia. Uh, Japan would be great, too. Um, I'm going to say Cameroon for Africa. I'm going to say I'm just going to go with like Belgium for europe um because it's the golden generation you know they kind of were having like their little last hurrah um and fizzled out i'm gonna guess they're gonna do america actually but maybe mexico but i'm gonna guess america and then i really hope argentina to be honest i think that would be really interesting and uh, i'm missing the the oceana oceana one but did any of those teams make the tournament they had to right like they have to have no, uh, no, yeah. actually, the whoever comes out of the Oceana, yeah. if I remember right, has to yeah. play a qualifier match against another team, and the winner of that one is the one that gets in. So you you have times where you don't have all the confederations. So all the federations. Okay, so you know what they're going to do? They're going to put Qatar in, right? Because they're the anomaly. They're the host nation who obligatorily gets in. So why not? And like, there's already the overlap of Vanuatu, like basically being in Qatar this whole season. So why not have the Qatari team? I don't know. And they're the host nation. It would be brilliant. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I can't imagine them almost not considering how like closely like tied on a business level they are, FIFA and Qatar right now, Mm -hmm. to not do their team. But maybe they'll fear the backlash. Um, but yeah, do you have any real hopes, Mikey? Like, do you have any teams that you're really praying will be featured? Well, you mentioned Argentina, obviously. I mean, that Messi, that, that just makes the most sense. You got to have one of the iconic figures of the sport and to have this be his last hurrah. I think that would make the most sense to have him there. U.S. Tyler Adams, who's the captain, who's uh, the youngest captain at the World Cup makes the most sense to have that story there because of the fact that he's the youngest. It's the U.S. That that just really, to me, I think would make the most sense there. I think France, mm-hmm. as far as Europe, the defending champs, you know, the fact that there's not been in decades uh, a team to repeat. And so having uh, the captain there have the weight of that responsibility to defend the championship I think would be pretty interesting. Yeah. uh, Asia, either South Korea or Japan would make the most sense there, I think. And I kind of agree with you with Qatar as far as that one, but I'd also go with Morocco. I think the fact that they've kind of been on this Cinderella run, it would be kind of interesting to have that captain represented and to kind of see, see one that comes out of nowhere 
to you know make such of a splash in the World Cup, I think would be an interesting story to track. Yeah, I mean, they would be super lucky if they chose Morocco, right? But I'm guessing that they chose all these before the World Cup happened, right? So like, in just in that sense, I, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't pick Morocco. That would make a ton of, of sense. They almost should feel obliged to Morocco because I was looking at the history of World Cup hosts who were in the candidacy and no one's been slighted like Morocco. They're like second place every year. That that country wants the World Cup so bad and is always second, is always like the runner up or third. And to have it in Qatar must have been a big blow. So to like to their, you know, their identity, because, you know, they're basically spreading it around a little bit. That's part of it. We we understand that it's voted, but like, we don't know how they get down to one or two, right? And so like, there's a lot of politics going into that. And so the fact that there's been one here now in the Middle East slash Arab world, right? Even though Morocco is North Africa, right? It's part of Maghreb. It's considered that part of the world. It's going to be, I think, even longer for Morocco to possibly get it. Um, I think Morocco is deserving of it. They're a very open, um, industrious country right now. And you know, I spent a month there. I love the country. It's really in, beautiful and intriguing. They love soccer. I, as a kid, I always played Morocco on FIFA 98 and stuff. <laughs> always love the star. Um, so I'm so stoked they're having a little run. I think I um, always so, played Italy. <laughs> Italy too. Yeah. But I also would have loved to seen, uh, or hopefully we'll see the Netherlands with Virgil van Dijk, right? Like, I think he's a really intriguing captain. That'd be a great team to follow, but We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what it is. Um, anyways, on terms of our final verdicts, overrated underdog. Jordan, where do you stand on this? And what is your final, you know, spiel about this? Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with underdog. I was impressed by it because I'm I'm kind of going, I think I like this more than hard knocks in some ways. I really like hard knocks. It's, it's one of my go-to. I love when it comes around. But this one, I again I found it was like it moved me in a way like. That, uh, comparing to like a movie, the way like any, a movie like any given Sunday for ones we've covered has kind of moved me. Uh, where it kind of just gives you so many facets of the story, both on the pitch, in the locker room, in the city. It just like you said, it creates this just great mosaic that I, I was really moved by it and just driven to really watch it. Like I didn't have the time to binge it, but I did want to watch at least two a day kind of thing with it. Um, and was stoked to like pick it up. So yeah, I was really impressed with it. And like I said, I'm not like huge, like I don't follow soccer super closely unless you know World Cup time comes around. But again, it it's a good um, like supplementary material for that for this time of year, right? When you watch, like I said, even though it's it's already happened and whatnot. If you're like me, and you're just like you're in. It's the FIFA World Cup. You're in that mood, or whatever. It's it's kind of good just to kind of like watch and get you pumped for like the next game. Like I said, it changed my mind of who to root for today. <laughs> like it gives. It gives I, I thought that was great. I like when content like does that, particularly sports content. Because like we mentioned, just uh, this is a great time for sports right now for me. Paul already mentioned like working for sports. Me, I get start my day with FIFA. I get to end it with hockey most of the days. Two days a week, I got football. I'm I'm loving it. So like, yeah, this is just another element of that extension this time of year when the year's winding down. Um, and this is for me the highlight of the year. People love the holidays, but I love this time when I get hockey, soccer, and football and UFC. I'm 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 just having the time of my life. Yeah, I love two things you brought up. One, like, there's almost no talk of this in like social media world in America world, right? Like very little reviews and blogs on it. But like, you also got to think that because Netflix has this and it's in so many countries and this is the world sport, this has to be like one of the top watched programs in some places like Brazil, I believe has Netflix. I bet you like Brazilians have seen this in the millions, right? And I just find that interesting. Like this might be very highly watched, even though it doesn't feel like it. 
I don't know. I'm just, I'm totally speculating there, but it was one of my thoughts I've had multiple times while I was watching it. Cause I was like, I didn't know about it until Mikey brought it up. Um, I was tweeting about FIFA uncovered and Mikey was the one who was like, yo, did you watch captains on Twitter? And so I was like, no, what is that? And then full disclosure, right? We're trending towards FIFA uncovered. Jordan and I were talking about it. I'm telling him to watch it, especially the first episode. Cause it was about like the 94, 98 years at the end. Right. Reminding me of childhood, the Coca-Cola, the Adidas. But then by the end, I was like, oh, it's kind of a drag. It's kind of like, you know what I mean? Just like really cynical and bleak. And then I just started watching this for fun. I was just like, oh, this is good. Oh, this is really good. And every few days I was like, hmm, maybe this is even better. Just kind of a funny twist. But um, yeah, the other thing that you brought up is I loved how it showed some of the people on the streets, right? Like the Lebanese guys drinking tea and talking about like the importance of soccer to their culture and arguing and bickering about that over tea and coffee. Like it really had good organic footage. There were some footages of like fruit stalls in Africa, little stuff like they gave you textures of the city. Like they did the work. They went on location. It didn't feel superficial, um, but it felt glossy. I love that. I love when things feel glossy, but feel raw at the same time. Yeah. So I completely think this is an underdog. I'm just going to, because I've already gone off enough <laughs> on just commenting on you. I'm just going to say this is a huge underdog for me. I'm I'm looking forward to season two a lot. So Mikey, throwing it to you, what's your verdict? Underdog, overrated? It's underdog. And I think especially the reason why it's underdog is because of they picked a lot of countries that you wouldn't necessarily have thought We need to show highlights, show a spotlight on these countries. You know, you don't expect to see Lebanon or Vanuatu or, you know, even Jamaica or Gabon. It's almost when you think of captains in FIFA, you think of England, France, Germany, Argentina, like all the heavyweights. And so the fact that they, for the most part, went with these smaller, not as well-known countries, I think is both a compelling stories. And B, a great way to highlight these countries in in a way that they probably wouldn't have gotten highlighted before. Just that is the epitome of an underdog. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fact that, you know, we already mentioned how well done it is. I think that uh, it's worth checking out and it's worth watching. And hopefully, you know, the more it gets talked about, the more people will, will see it, especially when season two comes out. And you can watch, you know, both seasons and be able to take in all of it. Yeah, I I did not even think of that, right? It's such an underdog just because of the the selected variety of countries. And what's interesting too is they do pick the top at the top, right? We have Brazil. We have the the face of world football, right? Of world soccer. There's there's no country I think that represents soccer more than Brazil. But then we get Vanuatu, which has to be like the most obscure country almost in the world as well. So it runs the full gamut. And I remember the first episode when I first sat down and I was not even really sure what this was. And I was like, oh, am I going to have to cherry pick? I, I was thinking this, like, am I going to like cherry pick the Croatia parts and the Brazil parts? Like, why do I care about mm-hmm. Lebanon and Gabon? And by the end, as you probably can tell from our conversation, like those were the best ones. Like if I had like a rating, right, it would be Gabon, Lebanon, Vanuatu. <laughs> like Brazil would be at the very bottom uh-huh. of the teams that were the most riveting for me. That's really cool. I, I'm, I'm get you're all on board. So I could tell, I know Jordan was like Lebanon right at the top. I mean, they're all good. I don't want to have to pick them, but like, yeah, you're going to, if you watch this, you're going to like, I think every story here, I wish they 
did give more uh, time and content to Vanuatu. Like I said, that's my one kind of gripe, but it's kind of tough because literally those dudes were in hotel rooms for yeah. 10 days quarantining. Like mm-hmm. you gotta give they made quarantine for 10 days work in a half hour episode. I gave it that was like, are they gonna show all 10 days of quarantine? And they did. They actually had like a good like thesis and like come back and get conclusion. I was like, wow, like like I said, like I was I was impressed by it. Like and yeah. I agree. That's that was a team you want to know more about. It was like uh it was a cool running story, you know. We have Jamaica in this, they were the cool running story though. Right. They're coming in there with like, like you said, with like no support or anything like that. And you just want the best outcome for them as you watch this. Yeah. And the way they like pray together and sing, it's so beautiful. It's so like Hawaiian almost like I'm not once again grouping them. Right. But it had that like just for our audience that feel like a like a meditative ocean chant. Right. Yeah. And immediately the whole team just resonated peacefulness. And they're they're dealing with actually out of everyone, the worst turmoil you can imagine. And they don't throw a fit that cry on the Zoom call. You see some of the players crying, but like they do cope very, very maturely. It's it's very intriguing to see how they handled that with grace. Yeah. Uh, Super like optimistic too, like through through it all. Utterly. Um, Nice. Anyways, thanks for coming on, Mikey. Um, Thanks for recommending this too, Mikey. Coming through with the solid rec right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to to come on and glad to to share this with y'all and glad y'all enjoyed it. Absolutely. It couldn't be more relevant too. We got some amazing World Cup supplemental content, right? As Jordan noted a few times, it, it informed the way he was now watching it. Um, sure. Today, our last team from the dock got knocked out, so they're all knocked out, but we still have the memories. So it play it'll play into it, believe me. Yeah. Like it'll it's interesting to think of Brazil watching this, having I saw like a lot of their episodes like a few days after they lost to Croatia. Mm-hmm. And to see the hope and know that they're not even gonna get to the semis was was it added so much to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It added this like specter of this presage of forebodingness that <laughs> is cool. So Great stuff. So anyways, Mikey, please tell our listeners where to find you and uh, how to connect with you. Yeah. So you can uh, find me on Twitter at Screen Nerds Pod. Uh, You can find on Facebook. There's a Facebook page now. Just search out Screen Nerds Podcast. And uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts, just search out Screen Nerds Podcast and uh, check it out. And if you think you deserve it, rate and review, uh, would really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Check him out. You, maybe you'll be our resident soccer guy for a bit. I don't know. We'll, we'll have you back. In, okay. well, uh, doing in, plenty of soccer. So you get, keep those recs coming for sure. You seem like you got the, like I said, you got that good rec finger. So, yeah. I mean, he was recommending like good rivals on uh, Amazon. He had a, he has a bunch. So he's, right. he's up on the, up on that. And Jordan, where can our listeners boost our SEO as we call it? That's our work. <laughs> yeah. If you want to help with our SEO, hit up that Google search engine and, Find us at Twitter, on Twitter, at Cinematic Underdogs. Uh, you can also find us, as Mikey said, anywhere you can find your podcast, look on iTunes, Spotify. And of course, like it, dislike it, whatever you do. And as we always say, keep the chirps coming. Yeah, and give us ratings. Uh, we love that. We could use a little boost. Um, but thanks. Thanks. You don't have to do anything as well. Just, just share it with a few friends. Or uh, like you said, keep the chirps coming. Keep the conversation going. So anyways, it's been fun. Signing off. Peace.